0: Welcome to the Sense-Making in a Changing World podcast, where we explore the kind of thinking we need to navigate a positive way forward. I'm your host, Maura Gamble, Permaculture Educator and Global Ambassador, filmmaker, eco-villager, food forester, mother, practivist, and all-round lover of thinking, communicating, and acting regeneratively. For a long time, it's been clear to me that to shift trajectory to a thriving one-planet way of life, we first need to shift our thinking, The way we perceive ourselves in relation to nature, self and community is the core. So this is true now more than ever. And even the way change is changing is changing. Unprecedented changes are happening all around us at a rapid pace. So how do we make sense of this? To know which way to turn, to know what action to focus on. So our efforts are worthwhile and nourishing and are working towards resilience, regeneration and reconnection. What better way to make sense than to join together with others in open, generative conversation? In this podcast, I'll share conversations with my friends and colleagues, people who inspire and challenge me in their ways of thinking, connecting and acting. These wonderful people are thinkers, doers, activists, scholars, writers, leaders, farmers, educators, people whose work informs permaculture and spark the imagination of of what a post-COVID, climate-resilient, socially just future could look like. Their ideas and projects help us to make sense in this changing world, to compost and digest the ideas, and to nurture the fertile ground for new ideas, connections and actions. Together we'll open up conversations in the world of permaculture design, regenerative thinking, community action, earth repair, eco-literacy and much more. I can't wait to share these conversations with you. Over the last three decades of personally making sense of the multiple crises we face, I always return to the practical and positive world of permaculture with its ethics of earth care, people care and fair share. I've seen firsthand how adaptable and responsive it can be in all contexts, from urban to rural, from refugee camps to suburbs. It helps people make sense of what's happening around them and to learn accessible design tools to shape their habitat positively and to contribute to cultural and ecological regeneration. This is why I've created the Permaculture Educators Program, to help thousands of people to become permaculture teachers everywhere through an interactive online dual certificate of permaculture design and teaching. We sponsor global perma-youth programs, women's self-help groups in the Global South, and teens in refugee camps. So anyway, this podcast is sponsored by the Permaculture Education Institute and our Permaculture Educators Program. If you'd like to find more about permaculture, I've created a four-part permaculture video series to explain what permaculture is, and and also how you can make it your livelihood as well as your way of life. We'd love to invite you to join our wonderfully inspiring, friendly, and supportive global learning community. So I welcome you to share each of these conversations, and I'd also like to suggest you create a local conversation circle to explore the ideas shared in each show and discuss together how this makes sense in your local community and environment. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I meet and speak with you today, the Gubby Gubbi people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'm joined on the show today by Lucy Legan. Lucy, like me, has been a permaculture educator for decades. And 25 years of that, she's been living in Brazil, where she's co-founded the largest permaculture center in Latin America with her husband, André Suarez. It's called EcoCentro IPEC. Now, Lucy's passion is education, and particularly with children. At their center, they ran permaculture as well as for adults, but so many for children, for schools of young people around the region, and she also helps schools to start their own gardens and curriculums. Stemming from that experience, and because she's a qualified teacher too, she's just published a new book, her latest book actually, called Planet Schooling, How to Create a Permaculture Living Laboratory in Your Backyard. And what a perfect time for a book like this to emerge into the world. So Lucy's story is incredibly inspirational, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, everyone. It's Mora Gamble, and it's my great pleasure to welcome to the show today, Lucy Megan. And I, Lucy is based at the moment, just a little bit south of me uh, in the North, even Northern Rivers or Byron area where? Uh, Marlon Malambimbi, Marlon Bimby, that's yeah. right. She was around there somewhere. Yeah. But she hasn't been there for that long. Her world has been over in um, Brazil for quite some time, doing a lot of incredible work with permaculture education. And Lucy's book, um, Planet Schooling, is about, well, it has hit the shores but it hasn't been released yet. So <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited for you and but for for to be able to share this with the world because it's it's a remarkable book that you've created and it's going to be so so helpful to so many people who are wanting to create like you say I'm just going to get the right words how to create a permaculture living laboratory in your backyard. That's true. right. And uh so maybe we could just start start there with what is planet schooling?
1: Right. So I often when I uh uh I often listen to the call of action that comes, like, within me. And during the first lockdown, when the, uh, the planets started locking down, a lot of people were writing to me because I have homeschooled my daughter, was how do we do this? You know, I, I don't know if I like my kid anymore because they were homeschooling and, you know, this new little Uh, being came out it was difficult for parents because parenting is one thing but homeschooling is another because you do have a a little bit more structure and you have to teach them certain things so a lot of parents wrote to me and said oh my god I'm gonna kill my kid you know I can't handle it what do I do so I was like you know we're lucky in Australia and several other countries that we do have a backyard so the idea was like okay how can we get permaculture the idea of permaculture education back to parents so so during this moment of lockdown or homeschooling they can actually use their backyard to teach their children and you know the children will be calmer because research shows that get kids out to the environment and they learn better and parents will be happier and uh, the you know uh, happiness and love will be restored in the family <laughs> a big a very
0: very noble <laughs> very noble goal and and very realistic as well yeah right? yeah you know, I homeschool my kids too, but I think it's a it's what happens too is there's a difference I think between schooling at home and homeschooling. And so, what your planet schooling book and all the ideas in that is really trying to <clears throat> steer people towards the homeschooling, or well, beyond that, it's it's yeah. you know what your what the title suggests is that it's about schooling for us to be you know living a one planet life, to be caring for the planet, to be seeing beyond ourselves, to be seeing beyond, you know, our, our worlds in our homes, but in to see how we connect globally in so many different ways.
1: That's right. And, you know, we're really lucky in Australia. Our lockdown has been really subtle, but there's still other countries like Brazil and America that they're still homeschooling. Um, and, you know, the kids are still at home and they don't have that uh, that luck of having such a you know, a large backyard because that's also a curiosity for Australians to have such a large backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of my experience has come from Brazil. I live 20, 25 years in Brazil and all the experiences that I share in the book are actually experiences that were created um, in an economy, uh, a low socioeconomic economy where, where children don't have access to many objects and how could we create amazing things, um, with hardly any money, but still follow, you know, a permaculture education and also follow the dream of that, you know, that everything creation is possible. Um, oh and goodness. that was what really
0: backed my, to
1: yeah, my that's, word.
0: that's so brilliant because that means that it's, it's not just a, Not just a hobby for people who can afford it, it's an anybody's thing. And it's, and you know, we're seeing that in the work that we're doing um, with refugee settlements in East Africa that, you know, that you can create permaculture living laboratories out of whatever it is that you've got around you. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic that you're bringing that um, and, and making it so accessible. So just run us through a little bit what's in the book. In, in the book, what, what are people going to see in this book? But it's actually
1: a, a mini design course for parents and children. So how do you look at your backyard and how will you, will, will you create a new design so you can create, a, you know, uh, we basically work with zone 1 and 2 and uh, 5. So in your backyard, how can you create these zones um, using the space you have, using critical theory and, and creative theory, and and then from that uh, from that design, then you can start learning the learning process. So, learning process in this book is also for parents because to create a new vision of a backyard or a front yard or a side yard, you really parents have to let release. Um, that control of having to control a space and and allow children to redesign. And I really use the tag of redesign uh, their own futures because we haven't done a very good job of it. Um, And I noticed that, especially in many public schools in Brazil, the, the adults did a horrible job of designing the schools. It's small play areas, mainly concrete. So I was really lucky to find some teachers or directors that agreed for the children to redesign that space. So that often meant crashing crashing concrete grounds and creating gardens. So so there were some really uh, out there teachers that believed that teachers could, uh, that students, sorry, and children could redesign their future. Because as I said, many adults have done a horrible job Mm -hmm. and it's like, we need to give them space so that's the challenge, I suppose, for parents is that if they love their lawn, and then you know the child says, "Let's rip this lawn up," and this is a part of my design, is letting go of that because it's a learning experience. Um, and children, uh, the way I see it, children intrinsically know how to create nature spots. Um, they understand insects and and uh, amphibians and much more profoundly and we did too as as children we did too but something happened in our education where we lost that contact and we thought that lawns and concrete and uh you know creating concrete jungles and you know was a better idea and and nowadays we know it's not so we're trying to re-green urban areas and re-green our own
0: backyards. So let's just take a bit of a step back there's two questions I wanted to ask you well so many but the first one that jumped out of my mind when you've started talking then was you were saying about zone one, zone two, and zone five. Now, most of the people who are listening here know what that is, but I'm sure there's other people who are going to be listening who maybe don't know what the zone that means. Can you just unpack that a little bit and then I'll move into my second question. Sure. So, zone
1: zero is your centre of energy. So, in schools, it's obviously the playground. In your home, your home is your zone zero. So, zone Zone one is next from zone zero, so it's the schoolyard, it's your backyard. It might be a community kitchen if you're lucky enough to live in a in a community. So it's it's an area where humans get together, and zone one expands from that. And zones and and usually it's intensive gardens, it's creating habitats for insects um, and lots of other yummy goodies. And then zone two is it's stretching from zone one, so we're looking at food forests maybe hot composting piles, we're looking at maybe larger ponds. And this also depends on how large your space is and how big your school is. And zone five is probably uh, some of the favourite, you know, many people say it's their favourite zone and that's going back to the wild. So it's you creating a zone where it's going to be untouched, you're going to let it get messy and you're going to see what nature does with it. And you'll help nature by planting certain uh, insectary plants in your backyard so you've got the insects and the amphibians and the frogs and the lizards all coming back to that
0: space that was a really quick <laughs> that was brilliant really brilliant the point I think yeah right really and and also too my you know the way I often describe it too is that zone five then also just is kind of a layer that is over everything you bring exactly. the wilderness spaces into everything that you do and yeah. Then, yeah yeah and, then, and also about how you really try and make sure that all of these the inner zones are as compact as possible that we can meet our needs and have the smallest footprint so that we can rewild as much space as possible. It's kind exactly. of a really beautiful yeah. way to think about it too. Yeah. So that's,
1: I that's often it. tell people or oh, sorry, mm-hmm. more, I often tell people that you create your paths and whatever isn't path is a garden. Yes. Whether it's a garden for nature or a garden for a kitchen garden or a garden for, you know, for pleasure. I love that flick. I yeah. love that
0: flip because often we, uh, you know, we see design from beds, you know, there'll be a, like a raised bed here and a raised bed there and all the rest is the 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 path. Whereas I think if you start from the paths, everything else just starts to make sense because you get your flows happening, exactly. you know where you need yeah. to go and then everything else just kind of, and if one of those little nodes within between paths happens to be a nice little open space of grass that, is where you can sit and have your picnic that's okay but it's not the whole thing being grass or the whole thing just being big big swathes of nothingness in between a few beds i think it yeah just to shift how we interact with the space so yeah sorry. i actually
1: sorry. remember having a discussion and almost argument with bill Wallison uh with this concept because he was saying okay uh, he actually came to visit our project in Brazil. So today we were lucky enough to have David Holmgren visit, and also Rosemary, Mara, a lot of lot of the rock stars of permaculture. <laughs> and I remember having that discussion with Bill Moseman because he was like, "Well, this really is just pretty and really pretty things." And I was like, "Hmm, you know, because a, a part of I think, and this is how permaculture probably changed from being agriculture to something permanent because we really need that prettiness and that arts and." Like in my backyard, yeah. I have one area just of succulents. I mean, and you know, what is the use of having succulents in my garden? It makes me feel good. It makes me. I look at them, and it's delicate, and you see the nature's patterns. And my grandson loves it. And you know, maybe it might not be useful um, in a permaculture sense, or but in a culture sense, definitely. Um, so you know, I think also, uh, and this is where children uh, really get it because they like putting sometimes it you might think well this is really not it's not edible it doesn't really fit this this and what but it's beautiful so it stays you
0: know, mm-hmm. and it gives me a sense of peace and and um and if you're going to connect more and your kids are going to connect more your grandkids are going to connect more it's going to get them outside it's going to get them engaged and then exactly. other things will start to connect with that and also the beauty that you created in the buildings at your center in brazil yeah yeah uh, you know like just I think that, that ethic of beauty i think yeah. just just emerges from everything that that's you, right
1: yeah that's right and and, that's, and I've got a, a couple of slides to share with uh people you know that was the sense of okay it it's not it doesn't only have to be functional it has to be aesthetically pleasing and that was the way i always used to joke and and, and talk to my partner about you know we have to make soil look sexy <laughs> because if it doesn't People were like, no, I want concrete. So, you know, we we, we, we stretch the boundaries of cement and, and uh, concrete, you know, to make beautiful structures that collected water, but also we, you know, we, we, and you'll see we use soil in a really beautiful manner that people can't believe, wow, this is a soil building. Mm-hmm. So building I, think,
0: soil. I <laughs> think that's really interesting too because particularly where you were in Brazil, to to invite people into a space like that to see how things could be done differently you have it it has to functionally make sense as well that's but right but it needs to touch people at a, at a you know like at a heart level so it needs to be practical and beautiful or something something so inviting that you want to sort of head towards that because changing from what you've got now takes energy and so it's got to be really worthwhile to make yeah. that shift and I think For you know by drawing people out but, but my second question that i was alluding to before <laughs> was it's it's tied to all this but i really wanted to ask you to share with us a little bit of your story about well how did you actually end up in brazil in the first place i mean you're obviously australian but you've spent 25 years in brazil like
1: yeah how did that so, happen it was a bit crazy because my my partner uh andre brazilian but we were living in australia in central queensland and we uh, he had just opened a, a small, after doing a permaculture course with, with Bill Mollison down south, which was, in fact, this area. <laughs> uh, he went back home and he decided to, I was organic gardening, he decided to change the space and I was, I was actually not very uh, open to permaculture. I was just like, hey, dude, you're encroaching on my garden. You have your own garden and I'll have my own garden. And uh, then I was spying on his garden. And I, the, you know, the difference between organic gardening and permaculture was the design element. And I started picking up on things, and and you know, started enjoying the idea of of doing permaculture design. And then we were like, okay, let's go visit your family for a year. We've been here for seven years or six years, and we went to visit uh, Andre's family for a year, but ended up living twenty five years <laughs> or twenty maybe maybe twenty three years. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and of course I was coming back to Australia, but I really took this challenge of, of creating a permaculture. Uh, firstly, you know, I thought it was just going to be a permaculture space, um, you know, a, maybe a, a household, or, but then it ended up turning into a, a massive centre. And that's because it, that time in Brazil people really needed hope mm-hmm. and people really wanted to change from uh, a non-organic diet to an organic diet. Uh, there's something like, uh, uh, I think the total is like Brazilian People drink about five liters of uh, agro toxic chemicals um, a year what? because of all the stuff. Now I'm not sure what Australians or other cultures are doing, but somebody actually measured measured that. So if you know, looking at their diet, that's how much each uh, Brazilian is drinking. I'd be curious to know how much how much we're drinking in Australia if you don't have an organic diet. So it was it was a, you know a moment the first world social forums. We were a part of the forums, and it was a, a, a moment of excitement in Brazil. So people really they jumped on board. So we had a, a property, and within 10 years we had a massive forest. And I'll show one of the slides the before and after, and that really shows that a, a small group of people can actually uh, create a positive human footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always negative because, you know, we, we have a sense of, wow, eco footprint. But we decided to say, okay, we've got a piece of land that has nothing, let's let's reverse that and have something.
0: Do you want to show us the pictures now? It's yeah, let's
1: lines. go to yeah. the share screen. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll see here the before and after shot. You can see that? Yep. Great. Yeah. So you can see the, the land, uh, uh, oh. yeah, there's like nothing. And 10 years later... You can see how much forest was rebuilt just using permaculture, agroforestry techniques, uh, also a bit of syntropic um, techniques. Now, our land stops at the green the green belt. That's actually a creek. So it's so exciting to, to see the neighbours. Just from watching IPEC grow, the na- the neighbours uh, started to change their, their ways as well. So you can see a lot more green. People started planting
0: forests. It wasn't the way we planted forests, but they were still planting. Um, so, just um, can you tell us what IPEC means? But also, um, just describe the word that you use, synchrobiics. So I'm not sure everyone would be familiar with that either. Right, synchrobiic came
1: from a chap called Ernest Gescht. He's a,
0: a, a, a guy from Switzerland
1: that's living in Brazil, and he created a methodology of creating forest um in a in a rapid way. There's a few differences to permaculture, like um, they don't plant on swales, where I, I enjoy planting on swales. I like finding nature's curves and following what nature offers and collecting water and plus planting forests on the curves. Syntropic has a great way. It's, it's a heavy chop and drop, so you plant trees and you radically chop them and then they produce fruit. So there's a lot of similarities to agroforestry uh, permaculture way. But, you know, there's some also some differences. So, you know, because I was in Brazil and people were writing to it, you know, parts of the forest here were centropic and I did I did a plant on swales, which in the end, um, you know, the result is the same in the end. You have a massive forest in the end. But I suppose for degraded areas, centropic is a really fast way of returning um nutrients back to the soil as you can see the soil is is quite degraded this is the sahada which is similar to savanna. so it's in the middle of brazil and it's where they grow lots of soya for the planet uh, so it's an area that uh, has like in the region we live it's about 124 waterfalls so it's really precious in water it's the it's where the the birth of of the waters of the Amazon starts. So it starts in the Sahara and goes down to some of the Amazon. So it's a really important place to protect. It's now classified really? hotspot.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about what you saw as the impact of soy growing in the area, both ecologically and socially?
1: Yeah, it's you know it enslaves people basically. You you know, people are paid nothing, hardly anything to um mechanically produce Soya yeah, and the industrial farming system just sucks all the water out. And uh, it, thank goodness they don't place pesticides like I've seen in America. They don't have planes and that in this area. They it's a hand pesticide, but it still damages the the farmer uh, or the worker and the space
0: and the water area. So you and know, the headwaters too of yeah, the Amazon. exactly the groundwater. <laughs> Yeah. And I wondered too whether the, um, sorry, just to have this sideways conversation while we're looking at your place. Um, so the soy that's grown there too, is that mostly for animal feed that you've?
1: is it it really? actually, yeah, it's for animal, it's for um also for paint, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. The soya ink. So a lot of the newspapers we have today that we don't like I get a newspaper delivered to me weekly. I don't want that newspaper delivered to me, but it's just delivered to me weekly, a local newspaper, and that's basically I look at it for a second and throw it straight into the recycling bin. So that's like soya, soya paint just going straight to the to the bin. Um you know, so there's some crazy things we have on this planet, and that's one of them. Sort of planting soya. I understand when it's for food, but not often uh, is planted for food because Brazilians, particularly, don't have. Uh, only, we have soya sauce in Brazil. Uh, there's not much
0: tofu production. Um, yeah, so it's, it basically goes to cows. Mm, gosh. Well, that's thank you for, for sharing that. Um, yeah.
1: It's fun to have a look. At, yeah. I thought i to the next one. So inside that forest, these are amazing things that you find. So you find a lot of, we have a lot of students come from all over the place now, but mainly uh, Latin America. We have African uh, students, a few people from the States. Not many Australians come because it's so far away. But you see, we, we love working with soil. So you have all these wonderful, crazy structures. And most of our water is
0: collected uh, by water tanks um so yeah that's i'll just so come back you're here in australia um is there someone over there looking after yeah people? yeah we uh we was uh we came back to australia we were supposed to go back
1: maybe uh, eight months ago uh there's a group of young people and this is when you know you're doing your job right when you can leave accidentally for a long time, and there's a group of young people that have just taken over the space. So they, they're still doing courses and they're doing uh, much smaller courses, but, you know, they still have volunteers and, and uh, they follow all the correct protocols. So they, they learned all about COVID and then they're doing the same protocols that we have here in Australia. So they were uh, quite, um, you know, it's quite beautiful, um uh, how they've been working um and they just they just create you know they just keep creating which is lovely
0: I was gonna just let people know who listening to this by audio that I'm gonna share the pictures that we just saw um with you because they're beautiful and and uh, um that building that had all the lights on it tell us what that what is that
1: yeah well that's our believe it or not, our classroom uh, <laughs> it it's it was made uh, by uh with 200,000 hand-pressed bricks. So there's no firing in the bricks. So we made the bricks from the soil of the area. So it's actually a bit of a pit. So we, we dug out, you know, we've got a track. That it, it was a perfect circle. Then Andre, my, my partner, he uh, created this with local builders that had no experience of creating domes, and they made a giant compass it was so beautiful. It was so simple, but it was like a giant compass, and the compass kept them in intact, so they were able to each time bring the compass in to close the dome. Oh, and uh, yeah, we had IPC, I think seven inside of that, which is the International Permaculture Conference, and this is where we um, watched the you know international permaculturists do their thing. <laughs>
0: make their plans <laughs> so I'm I'm interested though in um what the local people thought about what you were doing there in the gardens and how you saw them respond to what what your gardens and building methods were like what did they say
1: yeah. well I, I actually use Andre's methodology the same he used on me so when I was like talking about permaculture, and they were like silly gringa she doesn't know what she's talking about so I thought right that's it so I'm going to create the most beautiful garden vegetable garden uh I've ever seen and of course my my lettuces were way larger and juicier than their lettuces and I was like yeah you know it's just the way I garden and you know look at my look at my garden here and slowly because a lot of the men the women weren't um so proactive in coming close to me but the men were like well how do you do this how do you do this and they couldn't believe I was doing it organically. So we have some really beautiful stories of our local uh, valley of people that came to work with us and women that came to work with us, how they changed their whole agricultural system. Um, and the most exciting thing, actually I just got little little bubbles then, uh, prickles, was that one of the young people that worked with us for maybe 10 years, he's now the Secretary of Agriculture, and he organised The whole community to plant organic rice that on the market is worth about three million real, which is like a million dollars. And they uh, so they sell um, most of the brown organic rice, but they keep a large portion for the local schools because in Brazil, children are fed at schools, they're not fed at home, they're fed a meal at the school. So the kids now eat organic rice in that town. Yeah. Yeah
0: look you know these stories of how it can ripple and how by inspiring people and then they take it to wherever they're going to so whether you become you know a leader in your local community or you're a teacher at the local school or or whether you're a gardener in someone's place those ideas once they kind of find a place in you can start to to bring change and and change at all different levels so i wanted to just touch a little bit more on on your school experience so you've While you were there, you worked a lot with schools and created materials for schools and had, I think, didn't you get some curriculum approved by government or something? Tell us a bit more about how you managed to take your ideas and and ripple them through the school system.
1: What we did, we opened the centre for uh, schools so any public school could come for free and private schools had to pay a small fee just to pay the person that was uh, guiding them around. Um, And what, you know, often came up was like, yeah, it's okay for you. You're living in this paradise and we're living out there because people didn't really see what it was like at the beginning. They just saw the, 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 not even the end product because it is never an end product, it's an evolving product um an eco center so they saw this and they were like yeah it's easy for you what about us and I was like right call to action and and that's something I I follow often is that when I hear the call to action I think yeah you know they're right I'm living in in a little you know Alice in Wonderland um a beautiful area I'm gonna see if I can do that in every school so it's really listening to that when you know you other if nature gives you that call to action or if another person gives that call to action, to really grasp it. And I see that with the Perma Youth, the group that you're creating. So it's so exciting. But back to the story. So, yeah, so then I was like, okay, I I found a school that was interested in changing, and I have some uh, photographs here that I think are going to blow your mind as well. And I spoke to the students and, you know, asked them if they were interested in doing this um, project. They loved it. And then we found other Brazilian educators to jump on board because I didn't want it to come from a gringo. And that's really strong in Latin American countries that so I am an outsider. I will forever be an outsider. Just the fact that I have blue eyes, I will be an outsider. So I accept that. So how I incorporated that. So I'm an outsider. So I need Brazilians on board with me. And then, you know, that was easy because a lot of people believed in the project and then we change one school then another school then another school we only changed public schools we were uh, if if private schools wanted us to change their space they had to pay we were very clear about that because the difference between a public school and a private school in brazil is huge it's like you know the other sides of a rainbow so we were quite definite uh, that private schools needed to pay to support the project uh, but private schools got this. We found money to help them um,
0: do this. So you've got some photos to share with us? Yeah, I'm going oh, to share
1: screen. So we we wanted to encourage a partnership ethic with uh, children, but they were becoming partners with, with Mother Nature. So I'm just going to jump to this is one of the schools. You can see this is their play area. They weren't allowed to use this area because uh, some builders started a, a project and, You know, the director didn't really know why it stopped or how this happened, but this was like maybe uh, a few years that that the students were looking at this. Mm -hmm. So we gave them a mini design course, the same as an adult's, but, of course, the, the techniques are different. Some kids, they didn't want to draw the space. They wanted to use clay and they, you know, measured out the space and designed the area, tested the soil just like we would test the soil, So, you know, was it good for building? Was it good for uh, growing? And, you know, the kids that were right into measuring and mathematics were encouraged to to map the space. And so here we go. This is before, you remember. Now this is one week later. So we had a three-day working bee. Now, Brazilian schools are different to Australian or I think also European-American schools as a, a school is divided up into three to, uh, three areas. So little children arrive at school from 7 to 11. They have their lunch and they go home. The middle school go, starts at the school at 1 o'clock and goes until 5 o'clock. And then some schools have the next uh, class, which are the high school students, and they come in at 7 o'clock and finish 11 o'clock at night. Okay, so it's a real challenge to try to get a, a design that each each area, each period is happy with and they won't destroy the work of the earlier period or later period. So, But saying that, having 600 little hands on the project created this. This is one week later.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: I know. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So what you can see super adobe uh, benches. We fixed the tables up. Obviously the famous herb spiral is in the middle. Um, little garden. so we have a little zone five was where you can see, I think you can see a little, um, little plants that we planted in the corner. And then you have the, the aquatic uh, area uh, introducing a water element because that was part of this, that could be part of this science. So to connect with teachers, we were like, okay, we can create a beautiful space that you can also have outdoor classroom. And you can see we have planted larger plants and these these things we access from IPEC. We just grabbed
0: things from home to throw in there. Wonderful. So so those tables were based on the top of the structures that were already there I'm yeah. gathering. and Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So what did you make the top out of? You said super no, adobe. No, so the top is
1: actually in the area. We There is a mine, a beautiful uh, area has been uh, mined for a stone. It's almost like a stake. So this is a massive stone movie, Yeah, but the Adobe bench, the Adobe benches are behind that where the students could sit and either have lunch or uh, classes. So the teacher was really happy as well, the teachers because they could take classrooms outside. Wow. Now I just want to show you a different school. This school was quite radical for me. I was quite uh, it was quite upsetting at first. You can see that there's a big black spot on the wall. This area was tiny. And kids couldn't use that area because the neighbour kept throwing hot oil out the window because the house is right up against the uh, wall and it would dribble down and it created a, a, a disgusting insect infested soil that was, you know, just oil. So we had we did some critical thinking. The kids called us, and they said they wanted to play back in the area. So after uh, the kids wrote to the neighbor, because teachers approached the neighbor, the neighbor was never really interested in, in changing her ways. But you know, when you have a hundred kids come up to you, uh, I think it was quite a little bit um, disturbing for us. So she promised she wouldn't do it anymore. Uh, so the, the kids uh, learnt natural building um, techniques so they could plaster the uh, paint the wall and plaster it so it would be more beautiful. And it was turned into a garden space. So you can see the before, during and after. Mm. So that's what the kids were playing. You can see they painted the walls and created a compost pile and it became more dynamic. And the, te- the, the neighbour, you can see the window um, in this photograph, the neighbour stopped throwing oil. So this, there's a lot of things that are happening in countries that, We have legislation and, um, you know, we may, um, oops, I'm just going back to you, (laughs) yep, sorry. (laughs) So we have legislation and we have maybe laws that protect us. There's other countries that have great laws because Brazil has amazing environmental laws, but it has a population that's large and uh, different you know this neighbor had different ethics. So it was a challenge for the the teacher was really nervous because she knew the person in a private setting. Mm. I was like, okay, let's keep it, you know, this will, the green girl will pick this up with the children. Yeah. And they created created a beautiful area.
0: And, and I bet, you know, the neighbor's probably really happy looking out on this beautiful yeah. area now. It's all yeah. these flowers and
1: yeah. Yeah. And she has a bit more compassion as well because her kids went to the school but grew up and for her, you know, that was closed. Yeah. So she has been there, done that, but, of course, other children. Yeah. Um, and, no, of course, no. there, was, there, there were a lot of beautiful re- uh, repercussions because then, you know, as the kids turned into teenagers, they're doing their own things now and they're creating their own projects and, you know, mm. co- there's composting toilets now in the Amazon, which, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, is amazing and the same design that
0: we use. So it's pretty exciting. It's so fantastic. It's just amazing. And and I think, yeah, being... Um, creating an opportunity for young minds to create and design and respond to their situation and work collaboratively to do these things. I mean, they're the skills. You know, it's the practical skill on the ground, but it's also those skills of the thinking and the imagining and the negotiating yeah. and all negotiating of the stuff that comes one. in with yeah. it. that is so important. Yeah. Ah,
1: gosh. Consulting, consulting mm-hmm. and also conflict resolution is a big one, okay. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think, uh once again children are much more open than adults because we come with our baggage and you know if we're gonna create and you know we've both uh teachers of of uh live students so you know you give them a design challenge and sometimes it's like whoa <laughs> <laughs> I
0: like, like to see what you were doing there too with the with the uh, their designs, the children's designs using yeah. modeling. Like, yeah. It brings it to life, doesn't it? I mean Yeah for sure. I'm, Sometimes, in some contexts, we understand the 2D, but in other ways, it has a flatness well it obviously has a flatness that yeah. comes to life when you can start to model and play and I think that's helps when you're doing a collaborative design because everyone can kind of see it
1: yeah and sure.
0: have a play and you know whether it be a sandpit or a you know like the clay that you were doing there that was that that was. Pretty yeah, and uh, I think
1: also it's important for, you know, children that you do have all those, you know, say you're a mum or dad or auntie, uncle, and you're going to create this, you know, backyard permaculture living laboratory, and one child is mathematically inclined and the other one is artistically inclined, you can, you know, you can blend both to your benefit. That, sure, you you know, you help, you help the person who's more creative look at it, the logic side of the design, and the person, the child that's more logical, you look at the creative side. Mm-hmm. So you get a really beautiful blend uh, with, your, with your, you know, and, and it's the moment. And it, it's really, I know it's really difficult for parents because I was trained as a teacher. It's much easier for me to think that way because I had five years of training. <laughs> um, but parents, you know, if they start small and, you know, start from their zero and then they go out to their one and just, you know, small steps, before you know it, you have a, a beautiful space. That children would naturally be attracted to, like mm. my grandson. I did this with my daughter, and then now my, with my grandson. I, you know, I, I throw him outside to help me plant greens, and he, he loves eating greens. Yep. You know, and there's truth in you know those who plant greens will eat greens. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> all the time, and I think too, you know just um, on that point of 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 where like what to do when you're out there, if in all the homeschooling that I've been doing is to my biggest lesson is to follow where the curiosity is yes, yes. i may have a certain plan of what i think might be a good thing to open the door to them today but they're somewhere else looking at something else interested in something else and so that's kind of where i go and um also leaving the messy spaces that they can find and dream into and interact with and there was a nice, and even the mud play part <laughs> section in my garden that was so muddy my son was always in it he was always completely covered in mud he had this whole world going and then finally we finished the decking on the side of the house and his mud section got covered over oh my gosh he was devastated so we had to go and make another muddy spot just (laughs) up a little bit further so we could continue to do that because he was working stuff out in there he was making things building things he had a whole lot of yeah interesting really interesting
1: intrinsic learning it there's you know there's a lot of research behind it and uh you know if you're a homeschooler you probably see that often a lot as well that you'll learn and I think another thing just popped in my mind is that parents don't need to know everything because my grandson asked me questions you know some random he's only seven he'll come out with some random question and I'll be like okay shall I make out I know like, no let's go find it out yeah and I gave him a as a gift, from my old dictionary because nowadays I just google it I must admit <laughs> I gave him my old dictionary and, and it was like he found a treasure box mm-hmm. it was like wow you used to look at words like this and wow. you know wow, this, yeah you look at isn't you know the old Macquarie green yeah, dictionary yeah. but it's like he's found a you know a piece yeah. of treasure and he looks for words and so yeah. you know it's I think you know, if you don't know the answer, you just find it with them and they can see that you have lifelong learning as well, that you're not just like, okay. okay, I'm old now, I know, you know, or older, I know, you know, my stuff. No, it's lifelong learning. We'll, we'll keep learning, you know, so much. Obviously, I need to learn more about how to share slides on the show. You're
0: I'm absolutely right. I mean, that idea that to not be afraid that you don't know everything and also as a as a permaculture teacher i think often when you're just starting out to think i can't teach because i don't know everything you will never know everything about it exactly. but you know enough to be able to set a frame and to be able to hold the space and to enter into that into that and the same with the homeschooling that um you know when you when you say oh that's a really interesting question let's go and explore that i think is such an important thing, particularly when you're working with young people. It, ch- it changes that kind of teacher learner. Oh well, I'll always get something from someone. That you get something from a community of of people. you might go. So I don't know that, but I know someone who does. Let's go and talk with them. Let's go and see what they do. Or you, you know, yeah. oh, hang on, I think there's a book on our shelf. Let's go and have a look at that. Or or yeah, like or Google, Mr Google. You know, like there's all different possibilities of finding out. Sure. And, um, yeah. So. And I think I think what that too, uh,
1: um, right, the, the idea of traditional and indigenous knowledge is really important because you know there's a lot of stuff that we do, and especially for people that are beginning uh, their permaculture pathway, you know, is to to look for, for knowledge that's already there. So you can Google it, but a lot, of, a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So if you can find local people that understand and, and take that time to listen. Uh, I had an interesting experience. I worked in Patagonia in Argentina and I was working for uh, helping a school uh, create uh, their space and it had many Indigenous people in this group, the, the learning group, and I actually learned a lot. Um, first of all, uh, being humble enough to listen because at first when I arrived I wasn't, I, I could feel, I was anxious to speak. And anxious, anxious to tell them all my knowledge and indigenous people from Patagonia, they take a long time to explain something. So it's sometimes up to one or two hours. And that course really taught me to chill out Lucy, chill out and listen because he asked a question, but in fact he's giving you so much more And that was you know uh, I really had to calm my you know the way I, you know the way the whitey thought. You know, so I was called, I got to teach you something, or really, you're not going to get your money's worth. So I want to give you what you want. But it was just like, okay, just listen. And it was a, such a learning process because I had to listen for hours, you know, and, and it was, I wasn't teaching, I was listening. And then I was just like, okay, I get it. I know what they want. <laughs> so as a permaculture educator, that's one thing I would say listen to your students. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then you actually find out what they want. So the course, it's not just a permaculture course it's a course that is almost personalized because you can you're listening to what they need
0: yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely and it's I, a hard lesson <laughs> it, it is and you know i i totally agree that it's that it, it is about it is about the relationships that you form with the people that you're working with and taking the time to be present yeah yeah and create the platforms where people can be present with one another because yeah like you say we we rush around from this to that and be so busy but that the listening and the time I learned that down at, um, when I was helping to start the Northeast Street City Farm that you know that was the biggest thing that actually having someone who was in the middle of the city farm whose whose role really it was was just to listen to what New members who were coming in and wanted to learn about or how they want to connect or what their story was. So then you could find a way to try and weave their story with the story of the project. Yeah, and there was a like from from the get go a relationship rather than just saying, "Oh, hi, you're new. Okay, will you just pop over over to the seedling raising area." And like exactly, I don't like seed raising. I was like, and then they won't come back.
1: Like, yeah, exactly. And I love that little farm. Some oh. of my Photos that I use we're, were from that farm I visited years ago. Oh, nice. And, yeah, I use examples of, of community oh, gardening.
0: Right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh, I'd like to just, I mean, we've been talking for a long time now, but I, I do want to dive into something else <laughs> as well with you. Yes. your work with festivals because this is kind of exciting as well. And, you know, it's part of this thing of wherever you are, whatever you're doing is an opportunity to be, Sharing permaculture and that everything that we do, we can turn into a lesson about that. So, what what did you do at festivals, and how was that um, a transformative experience? Do you think?
1: Yeah. So, uh, what happened in about? I think it was 2005. A uh, boom festival in Portugal, which is a festival of about uh, 30 000 to 50 thousand people. Uh, the one, the owner came over to Brazil and said. And, and he actually did a course with us. It was very quiet and reserved. And then at, near the end of the course he said, can you create an ecological festival? And we were like, call to action. Uh, of course. <laughs> of course we can. If we can call because, he, you know, it's all about creating a scene. And he came to the uh, eco-centre and it was all beautiful because he imagined it would be a bit more sterile, a bit more biological, but it was cr- just as creative and biological um, and permaculture in the, you know everything, so we were like, okay, we took the challenge. So in 2006, we worked at uh, Boom Festival, and we created the first, uh, not the first composting toys, but the first composting toys where the soil would would remain on the land, mm. um, and that was different. And then in 2008, it was gardens, and and then it was water systems, and then massive large water systems. And we kept the festival kept winning awards. And then other festivals, the ripple effect was quite amazing. So you know, we went to the USA and Australia. We've been we've been doing uh, quite a few festivals, and the idea is to bring organic food to people, especially for Europe. Uh, I, I looked after about twenty thousand square meters of gardens, and it was a space where people that didn't because in Europe the also the um, the economic range is quite wide so people that were at the festival that jumped the fence or whatever they did uh, they had they they had food available for them because you know food was quite expensive so you know it was the idea of 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 uh, 30,000 people could live in an eco village mm-hmm. for a week where the systems, it was a closed-loop system, so the soil, the, the, the uh, sorry, the, the poo would be turned into compost, um, the human manure, uh, and also the food that was eaten was created, uh, was turned into compost, so everything was, um,
0: you know, recycled. Oh, thank you to system. set up these systems. I mean, the festival obviously lasts for what, a week or something? A week, 10 days, yeah. yeah but yeah. you know, to get the gardens happening and all the Yeah. I mean, that's a huge undertaking.
1: Yeah, it's like in in America, it was, I stayed there for four months in, uh, uh, sorry, in um, Europe, it's around three months, but in the Australian festivals, because I have access to, our systems are quite interesting, you know, we have access to all the local farmers and, and people growing seeds and that, so I can actually just connect with that, um, and also the, you know, it, like, you know, uh, Rainbow Serpent Festival is in Victoria. It's two hours away from Melbourne, so I have access to a lot of materials. But in these other places, I didn't have access, so I had to connect in other cities with with amazing grandmas that were still planting their seeds to co- to buy off. And every two years, they knew oh, you know, they knew I was coming. They knew what I liked, so they would just plant it, and I'd buy it. So the local economy also benefited from having eco systems and it really you know and and also part of my my own personal idea was was some of these young a lot of young people go to these festivals they're in a really fragile state and if you have a garden you know if you have it's not just techno you know techno and trance or rock and roll or reggae, there's a space that's silent that young people can actually come and reconnect with nature so at that fragile moment, you know, they, they find safety with nature and that sort of embracing. So a lot of my d- designs were, were, you know, embracing that whoever would come into the garden felt like they were
0: being looked after, hugged by nature. Well, it's, it's so amazing. You know, and just the scale of that work yeah. and the possibilities of creating short-term eco-villages or experiences of whole systems communities, the power of that to touch like all those thousands of people, they go away with that feeling that, oh, this is, that was amazing. That was something where I really felt whole. Yeah. And then to be able to take that back out into their daily life and wonder, well, how can I transform what I'm doing here to bring some of that? Or maybe, you know, actually living in community and taking some of those lessons. So I think it's just such a ground for for cultivating new ways of seeing the world it's just brilliant
1: yeah and it's a way that that uh, adults can can uh, enter a young person's life the way they want you to enter not the way you want to enter their life so we had we you know we created uh areas where they could do mini courses you know we had workshops and speakers and things like that and they would come and go as they please so it's there we're here if you want us, come and talk to us. If you don't, okay, maybe next festival. So, you know, it was, it was a way of uh, also, like I said, reaching, you know, lots of young people. Mm-hmm. And I've got exciting stories of, of people that either volunteered with me or came to the course where they're doing amazing things now all around the world. You know, and they say, um, you know, Boom Festival changed my life or Rainbow Serpent changed my life or Strawberry Fields or, you know, and, and I had a funny, uh, I had a really funny experience. I was, at the last festival when we had festivals I was watering the garden and there were two young girls that were like you know what this person's copying boom garden and global Fest, uh, global eclipse garden the style because I've seen this everywhere and I turned around and I said that's right it's us we're going everywhere now like, oh, I'm sorry sorry I said no I'm glad you've seen us you know and this is because each gardener does have a certain style and and looking at your gardens, we have a similar style. It's that wild, natural look that, you know, people walk through and they accidentally hit a rosemary and go, oh, my God, what's that smell? Or they accidentally hit something or, you know, and, and it's that wild nature but still safe garden um, that people feel safe in, but they get, you know, little little surprises. And, and, and that's exactly what I take to festivals mm-hmm. is that idea of like, oh, my God, what if, what's
0: that smell? And they don't realise it's just a rosemary or it's just mint. Or I think, I think that's so cool, though, that someone recognised, you know, in another part of the world they'd seen something and then come back and then there's this recognisable pattern that they that they noticed. Oh, that's... that's
1: right. Yeah, it's, it was really sweet. And she was quite young and I was like, yeah,
0: that's <laughs> us. <laughs> that's us oldies doing it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, um, Lucy, I'm wondering how do people find out about all the work that you do, and find out about how to access your book when it comes on, or all the stuff that you've got. Let us let us know yeah. how to find Sorry, you. I'll share
1: the slide. Oops, stop, I did it wrong again. See, life learning. I definitely need it. <laughs> so, there's our beautiful beautiful cover of the book. Um, mm-hmm. Happy kids. And you can contact us at hello at planetschooling.com. So it's quite simple. Um, And also we have book purchases. And the book apparently has arrived in Brisbane for Australian um, people and, you know, we're just waiting for it to come out of customs basically.
0: (laughs) Yeah, great. All right, so I'm going to put all those links um below is and also the website where they can get that and find out more about all the programs right. that, yeah. you run, yeah. you that you run. Because it's 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 just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time to to sort of un sort of unfold your your journey through it a bit, really. I mean it's so there's so many dimensions to what you do. But what I get from it is that it's totally coming from your, your uh, the possibilities that can happen when you when you follow that call to action. That's, that's right. That's a right. really big thing that I got out of what you're saying. It's like when you feel it, you know it, don't you? Like something starts like it's almost like a vibration or it's something like this yeah. power or yeah. fire or flame or there's and that, there's a certain little uns, you feel a bit unsettled maybe or like this until you kind of make the move to follow that, there's like, oh my, you exactly. know exactly. So you know, you really do in t- internally. Yeah, you do. Mm. And
1: it's a bit of trusting your intuition
0: but also trusting when
1: something screams no, don't go there, you listen to that as well.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that, you mentioned that because yeah. it's yeah. just as powerful. Because it's not
1: all naive. Yeah, it's not all naive and go, oh, my God, I've been called to action. No, it's called to action. You take on the action but then it starts getting a bit like, oh, oh this doesn't feel good. You can step back and reassess. And know that if you're going to keep following that path or you're just going to take a curve and go this way to get where you need. Uh, and that's happened several times with me as well. I haven't just thrown my arms up and joyously I've been, oh, no. Because, you know, I haven't been paid jobs. I haven't, you know, and that was a naive thing, call to action. I'll do it. And then and then they haven't supported the project. I'm going, oh, my God, I just worked for three months for free. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the learning processes. Oh. I know, so isn't it?
0: And you know this, yeah. And there's sometimes about that too, though. As much as like at the start, you feel like, oh, I didn't get paid for that. But then the other time, I look back into it, and I think actually some of the richest learning experiences I've had are from doing those kind of things, like when you've thrown yourself into something so fully. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, it's yeah. You know, it's really hard to to value sometimes on a monetary scale the kind of journeys. Yeah that it feels like we yeah. both kind of have. It's yes, sure. we need to also be paid for the work that we do, but but sometimes, you know, it's not and it's not just being philosophical about it. I actually truly mean that, you know, some of the most amazing learnings have come from from the yeah. work that that yeah. I've done as a volunteer. Yeah. But not when you intend to do it though. That's <laughs> different, isn't it? That's
1: right. Not when yeah, not <laughs> easy, connected in contract. Yes. And also when you have like you know, with the perma group group, if if people are expecting a certain outcome, it's only fair that you know the other party uh, honors that outcome. Especially because we're working for a beautiful thing. Yeah, we're working for nature. We're working for the maybe the future generations. Uh, a lot of the times, we're not working for our own personal benefit. It's to uh, that ripple effect because we yeah. want other and you know and. You know, I this is where my I suppose my feminist perspective comes in that that especially women working in this area should be paid if there was a contract. And I get a bit like, <coughs> oh, look, and I'm, I'm
0: just I'm just feeling that's another as well. That it is a whole nother topic, but I think yeah. maybe it's an a, another conversation because yeah. a lot of people are asking this like, yes, I want to work in permaculture. This is this, I feel called to action, but yeah. how do I actually make it a living? Yeah, how do I get? Paid for the work that I do or create uh, a living through doing permaculture. And this is kind of what you've done throughout your life. It's what I've been doing throughout my life. So maybe that's maybe we've just created a segue to another conversation.
1: Yeah, I think so. And it might be interesting to get other women from other, other, and we have a, you know, couple of people who work in permaculture. Let's do
0: that. All right. This is not
1: to exclude men. It, because you know, you may have a, a sister, a daughter, a mother that's struggling with this too. So we can give hints on how to, you know, especially for
0: women to to branch out. So stay tuned, everyone. Yes, You've heard what's coming up soon. <laughs> well, thank you again, Lucy. No it's been a pleasure to spend the morning with you chatting, and and um, and I know that everyone who's listening, um, there's just so many aha moments and and insights there and to you know i encourage everyone to to get a hold of lucy's book because it's it's not only so full of practical uh ideas but it's it's also just a beautiful book that whether you have kids or not i yeah. think it's going to be really helpful
1: that's yeah. right great thank you so much you, Lucy. Take time.
0: <laughs> so that's all for today thanks so much for joining us Head on over to my YouTube channel, the link's below, and then you'll be able to watch this conversation. But also make sure that you subscribe, because that way you'll be notified of all new films that come out. And also you'll get notified of all the, new, all the new interviews and conversations that come out. So thanks again for joining us. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time.